for your weekly dose of Wayne's Comics. Welcome to episode 282 of the Wayne's Comics Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. This week is a double-header week, where I bring a pair of Mike interviews. First up is Michael Heitkemper from Freedom Fighter and Insane Comics. We talk about that series. He's got the first four issues out, with hopefully more to come. We discuss how he works with his artists and what kind of surprises the story might hold. Although we don't give away any spoilers, I think it's a really great book and definitely worthy of going to InsaneComics.com and picking up. Then everything wraps up with the return of Mike Martz from Aftershock Comics. He's their editor-in-chief. We discuss what's happened in the last year and a half since the company has started and what's coming out now that you should be aware of. Mike's always a great interview, so I'm sure you can enjoy what he has to say. Oh yeah, there's a lot to get to, so let's get on with the show. to welcome to the podcast Mike Heitkemper, the writer and creator of Freedom Fighter from Insane Comics. And I haven't talked to Insane Comics folks for a little while, so I'm glad to get back to you guys. How are you doing today, Mike? I'm doing great, Wayne. Thanks for having me. I got to meet you at the recent C2E2, which I gained a lot of folks to talk with. And it was nice to meet you, and I got to meet your head guy, James Munch, there, and a whole bunch of mm-hmm. other people. So it was nice to get to. I haven't gotten to wear the T-shirt that he gave me yet, but I will at some point here pretty quickly. <laughs> but uh, it, talk to me a little bit about you and comics. Have you read comics for a long time? Oh, yeah. I've been reading comics since I was a kid. a big-time Spider-Man fan and Batman fan in the 90s. Mm-hmm. I honestly couldn't tell you what the first comic book was that I picked up, but it's just been something that I stuck with and kept reading and reading and reading, and here I am. <laughs> I always have to ask people who end up writing then, how did you make the jump from uh, reader to writer? Because, you know, I ask that question because I have read for a long, long time, and yet for the life of me, every time I've ever attempted to write anything in this, I always feel like it's just plebeian, but your stuff I really like. So how did you make that leap? At what point did you decide to try and write comics? Well, that's a long while back in grade school, believe it or not, when I first picked up on comics. And uh, me and a few of my friends, we actually got together and we'd make comic books in class or whatever and just toy around with really just rip-off characters of whatever's out there, you know, Spider-Man rip-off and even Power Rangers rip-offs back then. So really, I've been writing for a long time and uh, Mm -hmm. writing comic books, I mean, professionally has been something that I've been working on for really the past 10 years and only really just now starting to grab ground. Mm -hmm. I've actually got four different projects going in Freedom Fighter, believe it or not. And honestly, not the first one I thought that would make it out there, but Mm -hmm. it is the first one that's actually seen the light of day. Mm -hmm. Isn't that interesting? So how long have you been working on Freedom Fighter? 
me and AJ Fulcher, the artist, we started working together, I think, seven years ago. And really, I think Freedom Fighter started out to both of us as more of a practice project. <laughs> and the more we worked with it, it just took off. We liked it, and we kept going. Mm-hmm. So you guys from the start then were working on this project together. That's right. AJ and I, I don't remember if this was the first project we had started working on or if he and I decided we were going to work on something else, but we ended up working on Freedom Fighter. Man, it's all a bit sketchy, but mm-hmm. where the idea for Freedom Fighter came from, like I said, it was a project that we just wanted to do for practice, wanted to see if we could pull off a superhero one that was just fun to write about, and I think we did that. Mm-hmm. Don't know really where the idea came from. We just had that idea. We wanted to build a book and build a character, and we started with, hey, here's a simple guy with a cape. What's his powers, and what's his story? And it all came down from there. Because hmm. what I really like about the book, and there's several levels I really like it, I like the fact that there's a government agency type thing involved. Mm-hmm. Maybe we should give like the TV guide version of what Freedom Fighter is. Can you give like the brief description? If somebody doesn't know what Freedom Fighter happens to be, what would you tell somebody in a couple sentences? Okay, Freedom Fighter is the world's first government-owned and operated superhero. He was created by the government, and he's learning that he's really just being used as a pawn for other government conspiracies. And one of the conspiracies that's come to light to him is that he knows he's not the first Freedom Fighter. He actually replaced someone he thought was dead but turns out that this guy is still out there and he's come back to reclaim his cow so to speak Hmm. i like the story because there's a lot of great surprises along the way there's a big old hanging one about the third issue Yes, <laughs> I just surprised the heck out of me. I was, I, yeah, you know, I got them I, from you at C two E two, and I was back in my hotel room, and I started reading, and I got to the third issue, and my jaw dropped open, and I, well, the guy I was staying with said, "What happened?" And I said, "Well, I, I was surprised. I said they hit some place that really shocked me, and I would never well, in any, I would never I'm in glad any that way, worked out. <laughs> yeah, I would never in any way reveal that to anybody because I, I want you to get the same experience." Because one of the great things about comics to me are the surprises. And that's not the only surprise you've got for us, but it is a big old surprise. And you know what's funny is that the best surprise, if you go back and read the book, you can see how you led us that way. And when I went back and looked at some of the issues one and two, I saw where you set this whole business up where the surprise was going to come. And I didn't realize it, of course, which is where the best surprises – the best surprises are lying away right in, in, uh, right in front of you. And I really like that about that. When you started writing the book, and when you guys put this together, was it to go places maybe where a superhero had not been before? Which is quite a challenge. I mean, was that one of your goals? It was, but it, you know, with this character, that is a challenge. I mean, we've had a few people say he's a Captain America ripoff mm-hmm. or a James Bond ripoff, and you can see that. But also, he's a fun character with. As the story progresses, you'll see that there's going to be a lot more history to him and a lot more searching for a word here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, he is going to be pulling away from what people are relating with him to Captain America and a James Bond type character. He's going to get his own personality very soon. Yeah. And he's very good about this. The great thing about him, he's kind of an agent for the government and who gets drafted That's into right. this. And yeah. do you want to talk about how that happens a little bit? Because that happens early in the book, so we probably can't – it probably sure. won't spoil too much. Yeah, he uh, – after the first Freedom Fighter is 
killed in action, supposedly. He is recruited by the Undersecretary of Defense, and he's asked if he would just take the place because he's about the same build. He has the same jawline and whatnot, and they more or less just recruit him into it. And, of course, he's kind of a rookie FBI agent that just kind of learning the ropes. He thinks this is a great idea. It sounds like a lot of fun. I mean, heck, who doesn't want to be a superhero, you know? Mm -hmm. So he signs up without a a second thought. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And in the long run, of course, find out it's going to bite him in the ass. Mm -hmm. Now, how does he get the powers? Is that something that it's better left when people read the book, or is that something you can talk about? Well, there is a procedure that the Freedom Fighter goes through to get his powers. Mm -hmm. I don't want to reveal what that is because... That kind of leads up into the bonus pages of the book. Each issue has four extra pages in it, a uh, backstory of the original Freedom Fighter. And it kind of explains where his power comes from. But in the next story that comes out in issue five, we're really going to delve into that a little bit deeper. And I don't really want to go into all of that just mm-hmm. now. Well, of course, you've said something i got to touch on before we get back to this. You're going to do an issue five, because in comics these days, issue fives are hard to come by. Usually people would have Freedom Fighter Volume 2 or something like that. But you're going to continue on with number five. Yeah, we actually have the next story already written, and the art is underway. Mm-hmm. Uh, issues five through seven will come out and... If everything says, hey, we can go some more, we'll go some more, you know, because we got all kinds of ideas for Freedom Fighter. It's just making sure everybody wants to hear them. <laughs> mm, well, now, of course, now you've said something else that strikes me as unusual, a three-part story. Usually there are four parts. Now, you've got a, you're a four-parter to start with. That's right. Are you just more worried about, because, you know, I have to tell you something. I, I watch some of these shows on, like, Netflix, and I appreciate Marvel doing these TV shows, but sometimes the stories don't warrant 13 episodes, and yet they have 13 episodes to fill, so they do that. Are you doing three issues because that's how much story you have to tell in the second arc? Pretty well. Also, we just don't want to bore the reader. I know what you're saying about Netflix. There's a lot of TV shows that we watch. They're binge-worthy, but they're not worthy of sitting and waiting next week till the next episode comes out. You know, we usually watch all of our shows that way. Mm-hmm. The three-issue arc, it's all it really needs for this uh, story. Later stories will be a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. So, well, before I get back into the story, then, i got to ask, what's the reception been like for the first four issues? So far, pretty good. I haven't heard a lot of feedback other than from people we meet at the cons and things like that. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, it's all been good. Are sales pretty good? I know you don't want to talk specifics, but you've got four issues, which is a great way to go. Yeah. I mean, some many some <clears throat> things don't even last that long. Is it looking pretty promising for more? I think so. The sales are good in my book. Of course, everybody wants more sales, which would be great. Of course. But we're realistic. And I think that we're doing pretty good for an indie superhero book. I mean, mm-hmm. in my opinion, a superhero book in the indie market is pretty hard sell. You know, yeah. it just is because there's so many mainstream characters out there that everybody picks up just because, hey, that's what the next movie's about mm-hmm. and what ties in here. And they have all the crossover events. It's hard to compete with that. Mm-hmm. So, you've, again, here's a challenge because the perception is Marvel and DC own the superheroes. But I think that you found a, an interesting twist to the whole story that makes it really something unique as far as superhero stories go. I've been reading comics for a long time, to be frank, mm-hmm. and I love my Long John stories, don't get me wrong. I like it when something comes along and surprises me like your stuff does. 
I usually can see it's like a freight train coming. You can feel the rumbling in the ground when something's coming. But with the stuff that you do, I never get a sense of what's about to happen, which I like. I love nothing better than to be shocked by something. And Those are my favorite stories also. <laughs> so I was glad when you did that because I literally, if I can see something coming, then why bother? Yeah. You know, if I get there, sometimes I'll even flip ahead. If I realize, okay, we're going to do this and this, and I flip ahead, yep, sure enough, okay, book over. But for your stuff, I had to read every panel to keep up with what's going on, especially after the third issue when you you, you know hit me across the face with that big surprise. And I don't want to say that the first two issues weren't good. They were good. That's what got me to three. Mm-hmm. But I'm just kind of fascinated as the – Talk to me about laying out the first four-issue arc with the artist. Because you know, not every writer works with an artist to come up with an arc like that. Some writers come up with it and give it to the artist and let the artist go where they want. But I'm really fascinated by the fact that you guys work together on this. Did you feel that was a, a strength? Did it make the story stronger to work with the artist all the way through like that? It did. And uh, first of all, I just want to say I'm glad that the uh, surprise twist there in issue three got to you or worked for you. Because... And that you had to go back and make sure that like the stepping stones were there for that. Cause um, that's something I really try to work hard to put into the book. So that way you can go back and you go, Oh, why didn't I see that in the first place? You know, <laughs> but as far as, yeah, working with the team on that, uh, me and AJ, we more or less collectively came up with everything that happens in the book together. The surprise twist that you're talking about though, I did come up with that myself. And uh, <laughs> whenever I sent the, the script to AJ and he read that, he goes, now, wait a minute. You know, I didn't know that was going to happen. And uh, I was happy at work then, too. But yet, it's definitely a great thing to have two minds. I've been in other projects, though, where two minds can be a little tough because one or more person can kind of be bullheaded or whatever and say, my idea is better than yours. Let's go with that. It can cause a little bit of controversy. But Mm -hmm. me and AJ, we seem to work pretty good together. Mm -hmm. And we're, in fact, working on another project together right now it's kind of top secret but it should be hopefully found in a place very soon (laughs) is it going to be insane comics too i'm not sure i haven't really talked to james about it yet all right well we'll have to figure that out as we go along here but (laughs) we'll get back to this and before i get back into the story because there's a really important part of the story i want to get to i'm fascinated too but the fact that he's a freedom fighter and he's somewhat patriotic because, you know, I read Captain America, and there's this stuff going on with Marvel right now that I'm not real enamored with. But mm-hmm. you mentioned people compared to Captain America. Well, I dare say that Captain America could learn a thing or two from your book because it's like he's embarrassed to be a patriotic hero. Well, your character is not. I mean, your character is happy to do it and glad to do it. And, in fact, some of the story comes from that in his character. And, I, I, you know, I, I wish that Captain America would get a little bit of this because I think he's kind of lost his way on some of this. Because, you sure. know, you, you can't wear the flag and you can't be, you know, even if you're working for the government. I, that was one thing I also never could understand about Civil War in Marvel was the fact that Captain America didn't side with the government, which I could never figure out. Yeah, my kids, they actually wonder about that, too, whenever they read the books and watched the movie. They thought, well, he's Captain America. Shouldn't he be on America's side, you know? But yeah. to be honest... I think I know what's going on in the Captain America books now, but admittedly, I haven't read them and I don't know for sure, but I understand he's a Hydra agent or 
Something yeah. oh, from God. the past, I'm not I, sure. I tried to explain it to you, but I don't particularly <laughs> care for it. So I don't, you oh. know, I, I, he's basically somebody with ultimate power has turned him into, he's always been a Hydra person. And okay. now Secret Empire is coming along, which he's basically taken over the world, has had a shield, and there's no way in God's green earth I see Captain America I don't care what the circumstances doing that. So for me, that's basically what I did assume. So (laughs) yeah, so I just kind of um, you know, I took a look at the number zero issue, but that was it for me. I'm not going to be doing any more of that. But as as far as Freedom Fighter, Jason, the character that is Freedom Fighter in the book, like I said, he is a rookie FBI agent. He in his first or second year of being an FBI agent, he's proud of what he's accomplished in the short time he's been with the bureau. You know, and uh, he has that. In his head, yeah, that, you know, he needs to follow the rules so that way he can go further and further and further. And he thinks that it's paid off for him because, hey, you know, after just a few years in the Bureau, he's already the lead superhero of the the nation. So Mm -hmm. he's going to stick to that totally do right kind of attitude. (laughs) Which is, I have to say, you know, maybe people would have said that was a, you know, it was a cliche back over time, but we haven't seen that in so long. I found it kind of refreshing, you know, it was kind of nice to see a good guy, you know, who was patriotic and stuff like that, doing the things that he was and standing up for what he was standing up for. So to me, I liked it. I was real pleased with the character and how he developed and what kinds of things he thought and felt as he moved forward. And of course, he was surprised along the way too, which there are sure. other things we can talk about. But before I forget, I want to dive into Vanessa Gordon, his girlfriend, his relationship, which I thought mm-hmm. just that relationship just sparkled for me. I felt so much, you know, in a lot of comics, the girlfriend is kind of a hanger on her who doesn't really serve any purpose, but basically to make sure that everybody knows who's who's on what side and stuff. But to me, I really liked his relationship to her, felt very real to me. And I don't often get that in comics. So I was just sort of curious. Did you base that on maybe relationships you know or somebody that you know as far as making that relationship thrive and be real? No, it wasn't really based on anyone. I didn't want her to be a just a damsel in distress, even though in this way you've read what happens to her. Mm-hmm. I wanted the whole relationship between them to be kind of real, like, Jason, he's a young guy. He's not ready to settle down, and obviously she is. She thinks everything's going in the right direction, and Mm -hmm. she doesn't know his secret as being the freedom fighter. So it just makes a lot of conflict between them that he wants to tell her, and he can't, and he doesn't want to settle down. So he ultimately can't tell her also. So I thought it was fun to do, and uh, it it made it more real. Yeah, I I really like the fact that he didn't want to have secrets with her, but he pretty much had to. Mm Mm-hmm. And it kept her safe, at least for a, quite a while. And at some point, of course, that can't last forever. But he's got to sure. deal with those kinds of issues, and he does in this book. And I like the fact that as much as she's a real girl, he's a real guy as far as how they interact. They're in this really unusual situation, and things don't go exactly the way they prefer it. But it really just makes me feel for them as they're going through this really difficult thing to figure out and how to make it work and everything. I really like the way that you portrayed them as a couple of real people in an unusual or an unreal situation. Yeah. And again, I just wanted to keep her real, keep her other than just the eye candy in the book that says, hey, she's just here for looks. Mm-hmm. She's actually a strong character and she has a lot of future in the book also. 
mm-hmm. as we move forward. She's got a bigger part in his life, and she's going to have her own little stories on the side also. Well, good. Well, that'd be interesting. I'd be fascinated to see that. I, I like just her. hope we can get that far. <laughs> well, I hope so, because I like the first four issues. I, I, now, I want to talk a little bit about the quote-unquote bad guy of this, mm-hmm. and that's the guy by the name of Rogue Wolf. <laughs> yeah. Who the freedom fighter has to come and take on on he gets basically sent to take on this guy, and yeah. again there's a nice little surprise when they actually get into conflict and, and begin to battle it out. Something starts to happen that that I was surprised by, and I loved it because I thought that he does such a good job of dealing with the you know see, usually in comics we're used to punching and kicking and stuff and when he gets confronted by a unusual circumstance rather than just keeping punching and kicking he asks us to stop and figure out what's happening which i like um, i like that are you talking about in the first issue or? yeah yeah okay yeah it, in the first issue there was mostly punching and kicking whenever they met of course yeah Freedom Fighter has been sent to do a job, and that's to take out the rogue wolf because he believes that he is a Russian assassin. Mm-hmm. And, of course, he's blindsided by the fact that this guy is just as strong as he is. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, when he figures that out, he's definitely going to try to figure it out before he executes the, the kill or whatever he needs to do. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, that leads into the whole conspiracy and the whole plot of the story. Yeah, which I liked. I thought that it moved really quickly through. When you have talking going on, it's not mm-hmm. ponderous and slow. It doesn't drag the book to a screeching halt or something like that. It works. Well, it's the first way. issue. Kind of wanted to keep people reading. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I thought all the issues were that way. Issue number two, where we begin to get more going on with <laughs> Vanessa, and we begin to start to see more of what the Freedom Fighter can do. It fleshes out a lot of good things, and I really liked the way that you handled that. Now, I should mention one other thing, too, is you've got like a backup story that is yes. related to the story, which I really liked. Yeah. Was that and, intentional? Uh, oh, yes. Yes, it was, because mm-hmm. it kind of reveals partly where some of the Freedom Fighters' powers come from mm-hmm. and what led to the creation of the Rogue Wolf, really, mm-hmm. and ultimately Jason taking over as being the Freedom Fighter. Mm-hmm. And. I thought it'd just be a fun way to put it in there without doing a flashback every other page or something, flashback to what's going on or what happened or what brought us here. I sometimes find that just annoying because if you don't label it right in the captions, you don't know where you are in the timeline. So mm-hmm. I thought just make that a separate story altogether. And with each issue, you get a second part to that bonus story mm-hmm. that adds up. It coincides with the issue that it's in the story the bonus pages for issue two work well with the regular story for issue two and so on and so on. Mm -hmm. And it was just something we wanted to try. I think it worked out really good. Mm -hmm. I liked it real well. Issue four really got me because, you know, sometimes in a miniseries, the fourth issue, the wrap up doesn't necessarily have a punchline or a punch to it. That makes it. Mm -hmm. But when I got to the end, I really thought that was very satisfying. Good. I'm glad to hear that. Like I said, I'm used to being disappointed when I get to the ends of these <laughs> multi-issue stories, you know, because I'm always of a mind you could always tell some of these stories in one issue. But I don't think you could with this one. I think you needed four for this. And the fourth one I thought was particularly strong to me because when we get to resolutions on many different levels within right. the story, I really liked it. And then, of course, there's relationship resolutions as well as what's going on in the uh, in the government and things like that. 
And I thought they all wrapped up very nicely. And I can see, though, how you're going to be able to go forward with this because right. you left yourself wiggle room as far as doing something else. That first, was definitely part of the plan also. We wanted to write a story that was complete and people could be satisfied with that's it in case we don't do anymore. But there's definitely something to build on there to keep going. Mm-hmm. And, well, I can't say too much about the ending because it will reveal what happens. But Yeah, no, no, don't uh, do that. <laughs> you know what's going on. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. Like I said, I love the ending. As I mentioned, the relationship was important to me, and so there was a satisfying end to that as well as the government stuff. I would never reveal any of this stuff because I want people to enjoy the story as much as I did, but I think that you juggled all those moving parts real well, I thought, as far as getting things and, and making things happen at the right time. Was I right in remembering that this was your first comic? This one of your early comics, you were saying. So you had a little practice before you got to this one? This is the first comic that we have actually published okay. in print. I have a webcomic called Distractions. It's still on the internet somewhere, I'm sure. <laughs> but we never finished it because the artist had some things to come up. And oh. It's one of those things we promised to get back to, but we never did. And who knows, we may still get back to it someday. Mm. And then I have a few other books that have just been kind of sitting in limbo. One of them actually had a publisher attached to it, but be honest, we're kind of uncertain about that situation anymore. Mm. It doesn't look like it's going to work out. Mm. But like I said, this is not the book that I thought would be the first one to go to print. Mm. But working on all of these comics that I have, knowing what I know now, my earlier books, they would have been done completely different. Mm. It's been a learning experience these past 10 or so years, however long I've been doing it. Mm-hmm. And it's been a lot of fun. But the key thing is just finding the right team to work with. Because yeah. there's a lot of great artists out there, and they're hard to come across and hard to nail down. And mm-hmm. sometimes there's a lot of great artists that are just not great at working with people also. So mm-hmm. <laughs> that tends to be a problem. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad that you and AJ can get along and do these things so well. And I think it's a great compliment to your writing that he was surprised at stuff that you were doing, which, you know, that means the rest of us were probably very likely to be surprised by what's going to happen with it. Like I said, the end of the fourth issue is it's very satisfying. I really like that. And like I said, I'm used to being disappointed by that. So I, I just wanted to say to you guys that I thought you did it real well. Now, since AJ was involved in the story, and yet you seem to be doing the scripting and stuff, did you have input on the costuming and in the artwork or stuff, or was that largely AJ's area? To be honest, very little. Mm-hmm. He did just about all of the designing of the character. We went back and forth a lot about what colors to use, you know, because we wanted to make it patriotic, but we didn't want it to be straight red, white, and blue. Mm-hmm. But AJ, I think, would have to take all of the credit for uh, designing the visual aspects of the character. Mm -hmm. And I think he did a really great job. And Mm -hmm. a lot of the features for Freedom Fighter, we had to actually write into the script. Like he came up with the idea that the Freedom Fighter's uniform is kind of like a nanotech technology Mm -hmm. where certain things like a gauntlet on his wrist can form out of the little bits that are on a suit. And I just kind of wrote that into the script because it worked well. It was fun to do. It was something different. Mm-hmm. And all the little gadgets that we come up with as we go, AJ likes to say he's Freedom Fighters, a mix between Captain America, James Bond, and Inspector Gadget, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. it, it really is. It really is. So, yeah, AJ's the guy 
he's the guy for all of that. <laughs> now, I've got to talk about Insane Comics for a minute, too, because this one came to the forefront and got published. How did mm-hmm. your relationship go with Insane Comics, with, like, say, James and, and all that stuff? Did you present this to him, and then he kind of he said he wanted to print it? How did that work as far as getting it to the stands? Well, it's a little complicated okay. uh, because Freedom Fighter was actually with a different publisher mm. last year. Mm. And the first issue was released through that publisher, and then something happened where we had to part ways with that publisher. Mm-hmm. And we were kind of stuck. We didn't know what was going to happen. So we didn't know if we could republish it somewhere else because of the circumstances with the old publisher. Mm-hmm. So after we got all that sorted out, we thought, hey, let's just start shooting it around again and see if we get somebody to pick it up. Mm-hmm. And Insane Comics was one that we just ran across, and they were fairly new. And I sent a letter to him, and James wrote back, and he didn't seem too concerned about the other publisher or anything. He liked the story, and mm-hmm. he said he'd like to do it. So here we are. <laughs> it all went pretty quick, to be honest. That's so interesting as far as that kind of stuff goes because you never know when you send out who's going to give the response. You know? Right. And I'm sure you approached many different publishers as an attempt oh, yes. to do that. So I, I've also written quite a few books, just novels, mm-hmm. and I used to keep a folder of rejection letters. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, now I can't keep track of how many I've got. I mean, I've still got the folder from years ago, but I haven't put any new rejection letters in there in a long time. That's because you, know, you, you submit to so many thousands, and agents also. It, it's just, there's so many rejections, and some of them come back with constructive criticism, which is great, which means they read it, and they care for you, and they care for what you're doing, and it means you're doing a good job, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, they took the time to give you some kind of criticism. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, Whenever it comes to comics, they really didn't send back a lot of rejection letters. <laughs> they just wouldn't write you back. So. Oh, that's, that's not good. Yeah, it's kind of stinky, but, you know, hmm. everybody's busy. Yeah, well, I understand that. But if somebody takes the time to approach you with something that they've done, it might be nice to just, even if you have to come up with a standard, well, it doesn't meet our needs kind of stuff. It would be nice right. to let somebody know that they're not still thinking about it. Sure. That would be nice. But uh, I, the reason I ask these things is because I'm sure there are writers out there who are trying to get into the business and trying to get stuff out there. And I always like to let them know that their experience is not all that unique. Uh, it's like what you're going through is not all that unique because there are a yeah. lot of folks who want to get their stories published. And like I always like to point out, Kickstarter makes these things happen because you know, before Kickstarter, we didn't have a way to get all these wonderful stories that are now coming to light. I mean, there's some great stuff out there that just because Marvel and DC doesn't make it doesn't mean that it's not a good story. That's true. All of the indie creators out there in the indie books, I mean, when you really start digging through them, there's some awesome things out there that get overlooked by all the readers and I try to do the best that I can. I got a lot of friends on Facebook that are just other creators and their books. I try to share it, share it and share it and do my part because mm-hmm. there's a lot of great books out there that people just miss because they don't have a big publisher behind them saying, hey, buy this because I'm Marvel and I said so, you know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Let me ask now because we've talked about it and I really like the book and I highly recommend it. If somebody wants to get a hold of Freedom Fighter, how do they do it? insanecomics.com just go to their store they have it in print I think there's also a comiXology we're on there in digital mm-hmm. so 
You just search Freedom Fighter and it'll come up or search Insane Comics and search through their titles. It's not too hard to find. Okay. Now, I saw you at C2E2. Are you planning yeah. to go to more conventions this year? Yeah. In July, I'll be at Fandom Fest Louisville. And also in July, as long as it all goes well, I'll be in Indianapolis for In Conjunction. Oh, very cool. Very cool. These days, I think, like I saw you at C2E2, that it's a good way to get to meet people and make connections with those kinds yeah. of things. And I know a lot of people who prefer to go rather than going to the bigger cons. Like Even C2E2, is, some people think, is too big of a con. They want to go to the smaller ones because you get to spend more time with the fans who come up. Yeah. I like both. C2E2 was probably the biggest show that I've been to, and I appreciate James much for having us out there because we really just piggybacked on his table, which was great. Mm -hmm. But we really did meet a lot of people up there. We sold a lot of books, and we talked to a lot of people. But the smaller cons, they're just as fun. Like you said, I was in uh, St. Charles, Illinois for, oh, I can't remember the name of the show. Shoot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but we were in there, and it was a smaller show. And mm -hmm. uh, there were a lot of great fans there, a lot of people to talk to. And mm -hmm. like you said, you do get to spend more time with the fans and with the customers. There were times at C2E2 that we were standing around, and we couldn't keep track of all the people that were at the booth wanting to buy books. Mm -hmm. It was hard to keep track of them all. Well, that's a good thing. I like to hear oh, that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's sort of a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> Just hope you got paid for all the books. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, you know, I have to tell you a quick story. There was a guy over in the U.K., who had uh -huh. put a digital version of his book out, and it got uh, torrented. Oh, no. At first, he was like, oh, no, I'm done for. But what he discovered was was that when people downloaded it, they actually liked it so much, they went and bought the physical copies of it. So it turned out to be the best advertising he could do. I've heard of that. Giving away free copies is a good advertisement. I haven't seen that kind of success, mm. but... I've tried it, and it may or may not work. It's hard to keep track, or it's hard to tell. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm sure there are cases out there, like the one you're talking about, that you know it's obvious. <laughs> mm -hmm. So now we've got the first four issues. Are all four issues now available, or are we is four still yet to come? How's that working? All four issues are available now. I am afraid to say, though, the Insane Comics website issue four is not available because they're sold out of it. Oh. Uh, but I'm told that I think he said the shipment was coming in on the 19th oh. or maybe they were shipping it on the 19th. So okay. hopefully he'll have some books available soon. Well, that's a good thing. If you get something sold out, yeah. that's a great thing. Yeah. So that's good. Yeah, that is great. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, I bet it is because, you know, you work so hard to make this happen. And then when there's a response like that, it must be really gratifying. Yeah, it is. Okay, now we got the first four issues in the bag. How are things going to go forward from now? You, you said you've got another three-issue arc that you want to do. Do you have any plans yet as to when you guys are going to start working on it, when it might be released? Uh, I think uh, we were talking about having the whole – before James is going to send it to the printer, I think we'll have all three books finished so that way they're sitting and waiting and nobody has to wait until we finish them to see the next part of the story, which is a good plan. Yeah. And I think we'll have it all together come October. So hopefully that our plans stay the same and we can get it out by then. And 
everybody will get to see what happens next. Oh, I can't wait to see that. I have to I have to make I keep track of these things so I can yeah, find I, out. I really wish I could go into that, but it's like you no. said, I, I don't really want to spoil no, no, no. what happens in the first four. No, issues. no, no. you got to read the first four. I, I want people to be able to read the first four. Uh, before we get into the, the five through seven, so that'll be good stuff. So, if we're going to keep up with you as far as what you and AJ are doing, or maybe you separately and AJ separately, what's the best way on social media to keep up with you? Facebook? Yeah, you can find me on Facebook, just Michael Highkemper. And why don't you spell your last name though, so people know how to spell it? Yeah, it's H uh, E I T K E M P E R. We're also on Twitter and Instagram, so uh, you can look me up on there if you like. So you don't have a website yet? I do have a website. I'm sorry. It's uh, mhighkemper.com or mhighkemperbooks.com. I'm sorry. Okay. (laughs) Well, that's good because uh, these days social media is such a thing. You know, you've got to be able to get all that stuff out there. Does AJ share the site with you or does he have his own site? I don't believe he has his own website. He is uh, on DeviantArt.com. I think he's uh, San Diego Badfish is what his profile is. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> okay. he's got a lot of great stuff to look at on that page also. And, of course, he is on Facebook, and you'd have to find him as Ariel Fulcher. Yeah. So A-R- A-R-I-E-L. Yeah. And Fulcher, F-U-L-C-H-E-R, if your book is correct. correct. Okay. So now you said there's some irons in the fire that you can't quite talk about yet. Are there any projects that you can talk about that are coming? Well, the one that we're working on, it is not going to be a superhero book, which is a change for us because that's really all I've hardly worked on. This one will be uh, kind of a crime noir style. It's Mm -hmm. going to be black and white. Mm -hmm. And it's got some different twists to it also hmm. so hopefully we'll be able to find a place for that soon and everybody will get a chance to get some sneak peeks at it soon also be good because you know one of the things that i really like is when people have like an email list you can sign up for and that way when something happens you send out a, an email letting people know something's you know percolating about to come out and stuff like that i've um, been meaning to set one of those up <laughs> and uh, it's something i'll be doing this month i hope <laughs> well, put me on there when they start that up i'll be the first one on the list when you get that going so that would be good stuff so i like it's the name is freedom fighter it's from insane comics and Mike, I think you and AJ did a wonderful job, and I can't wait to see more. I hope we get to see more pretty soon because I like what you're doing. I like that storytelling, and if you're going to keep surprising me, I'll be there every time. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for all the kind words. People need dramatic examples to shake them out of apathy, and I can't do that as Bruce Wayne. As a man, I'm flesh and blood. I can be ignored. I can be destroyed, but as a symbol... Get the latest from the comics universe. News, interviews, previews, and reviews. Listen to the weekly Wayne's Comics Podcast so you can keep reading your comics.
great to welcome back to the podcast Mike March, editor-in-chief and co-founder of Aftershock Comics. And it's got a lot of good things going on there. How are you doing today, Mike? Doing great. Thanks for uh, having me on the podcast. Really appreciate being here. The last time you and I talked was right when things were getting started, and there was a lot of wonderful things happening. I loved Replica, and a lot of the things that you were doing were really super. And now it's a, a little over a year later. I'm just kind of curious, where is the company now as far as things go? Well, you know, we're staying true to our mission statement early on. What we really wanted to do was make an immediate impact on the industry with books and projects that showcased the best ideas from the best creators in the business. And a few of the foundations that we had in mind back then were story being one, you know, the best possible story, quality being another foundation, giving TLC on everything from the creators to the way the books look, to what printers we use, to our relationships with the retailers. And then also the third foundation was that of risk, of taking chances, of trying things that are against the norm, of throwing that spaghetti up on the wall and seeing if it sticks or not. And, you know, I have to say that a year and a half later after our debut books, we are still doing all three of those things. And, you know, they showcase themselves in various different ways on different books. Mm-hmm. But so far we have, I, I think, probably exceeded, you know, exceeded the expectations of the general public. I think we've impressed people a lot more than what they were expecting. But for us internally, this is business as usual. This is what we set out to do. This is what we wanted to accomplish and what we knew we could accomplish. Mm-hmm. Well, like I said, the replica was the one that really hit me. I love the funny covers, the really interesting story, as well as a lot of humor involved that Paul Jenkins put into that. And I liked that stuff. And there was several others in there, too, that I really liked. But now you're kind of into the second generation of Aftershock as I look things over. Do you want to talk a little bit about uh, that first wave? Is there more coming from that first wave? Or was that kind of something that you guys wanted to accomplish? And now that it's done, you're moving on to something else. Well, you know, the first wave was a mix of different things. There was a few projects in the beginning which were intentionally meant to be short form or limited series, you know, something like Garth Ennis's Dreamy Eagles. And I think, you know, there are a few other concepts or books that were received extremely well and were hit every check mark that we wanted to hit in terms of quality and story. But I think because we were such a young company and still making our impact and making our mark, we didn't have the full recognition of the readership and retailer audience yet to support those books. A year and a half later, we're in a much better place, and I think that's why we're seeing such success on what you just called our second generation of titles. And I think you know that second generation probably started last summer when we announced and had Animosity about to launch. You know, Animosity is certainly a benchmark for us at Aftershock in terms of not only the internal success, you know, knowing that we have a good product in our hands, but the outward success of having readers and retailers embrace it and say, you know, this is good and it's so good. I'm going to tell my friends to pick it up or I'm going to tell this other store to pick it up. So I think when we had animosity launch, in August or September of last year, that was really a turning point for the company where we realized that the statement that we wanted to make was 
being heard and seen by a mass audience and people were really understanding that we were here, Mm -hmm. we were here to stay, Mm -hmm. and we were trying to do things differently than other publishers. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, any of the launches that we've seen since then, yeah, have really done well, whether it's uh, Shipwreck from Warren Ellis, or if it's upcoming Baby Teeth from Donnie Cates, or if it's our recent hit Pestilence from Frank Thierry. We're really experiencing success on a few different levels in many different areas. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about animosity, of course, but I want to back up just a little bit and go back to, there's a couple of the first wave that are still going on right now. You've still got Insects coming out in the month of May and American Monster. So uh, talk about how these are continuing on, because some of them have been like sort of six-issue miniseries. Other ones have, I guess when the story ends, you complete the book. But as far as like Insects and American Monsters, they're continuing on. Is there a, a, a future for them? Do you think that they're going to be ongoings? What's going to happen to those books? Yeah, Insects we definitely view as one of our regular ongoing titles. We have a long-term relationship with Marguerite Bennett. She's been a huge important piece of the Aftershock family since we launched. And Insects, we look at that as one of our main flagship titles, you know, something that was there from the beginning and we're still proud to publish. Without revealing too much in the way of story details, we've talked to Marguerite and you know, we think there's probably an end point at some point where her particular story that she wanted to tell may come to an end. But we'll figure that out as we go. In the meantime, we're really enjoying putting out the book. Mm-hmm. And yeah, American Monster is is something with Brian Azarello. He's talked about <laughs> multiple storylines with that title and the direction and future and the potential of where that book can go uh, and will go is uh, as a reader, it's really refreshing and really surprising. So I mean, that's another book that internally we're extremely excited about and also really grateful that a titan in the industry, Brian Azzarello, you know, he could do his creator-owned books anywhere, really, if he wanted to, and, and he chose to bring this to Aftershock, and mm-hmm. so that's wonderful to us. So it's good things going on. There's some of them that seem to bridge between the first and the second wave, like Rough Riders. Rough Riders actually has a second series going on. At first it was just called Rough Riders, now you got Rough Riders, Riders on the Storm going. Is that a little different for how you guys do things, or is that just the way that this book worked out? Yeah, it's kind of the way the book worked out, and part of that may be in that the creator of the series, Adam Glass, he's well-known in the comics industry, and he's done plenty of stuff from Deadpool to Suicide Squad, but his main day job is working as a writer and executive producer for television shows. He, you know, He's worked on Supernatural. He just announced a brand new deal, development deal that he has with, um, I want to say Fox, and if I'm wrong, I'm, I'm really sorry. But Adam comes from the world of television writing, and so when he was structuring the story for Rough Riders, rather than thinking about it in terms of story arcs within one long-running title, he thought of it more as seasons. And so you know, we had the first seven issues, which dealt with Teddy and his Rough Riders going down to Cuba, uh, uncovering a uh, mysterious secret there. And that was one season. And then you know, we took a break for three or four months, and we came back with the second season, which is called Riders on the Storm. Mm-hmm. And that deals with uh, more internal threat 
at this point in time, Teddy Roosevelt has become vice president and president McKinley is shot at the time of the world's fair. And suddenly Teddy has to become president. And at the same time, deal with this uh, mysterious presence, which may or may not be involved in McKinley's death. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that's the way that Adam himself kind of structures the book. And we do that with each of our writers. All of our writers do things a little bit differently. And, you know, we try to be very sensitive to the needs and interests of each individual creator and writer and kind of tailor the projects towards their strengths. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the big successes I know you guys have had is Shipwreck. Do you want to talk a little bit about that book? And from what I understand, like stores that sold out of it when they got issue number one and it's continuing on. What's going on with Shipwreck? Shipwreck is so much fun. And when we first started, Warren Ellis was interested in working with us. And then the timing didn't really work out. And so we didn't have Warren for our initial launch, which on the one hand, you know, was a little disappointing because we would have loved to have had him at the party. But I think it's even better that the timing didn't work out then because a few months later he came to us. He said, hey, I've got this idea I've been thinking about for a bunch of years. It's called Shipwreck. Here's the nuts and bolts about it. Would you guys be interested in doing this? And the idea was it's just classic Warren Ellis. It's, you know, readers who enjoy his work on planetary authority, they're definitely going to love this. It's great, intelligent sci-fi and we couldn't ask for a better artist than Phil Hester. Now, Phil's been such an important piece of the Aftershock puzzle since we started our company. And we're just kind of blessed to have Phil providing such spectacular artwork on this series. So I think we were really happy with the results when it launched back in the fall and weren't surprised at the sellouts. That's one thing that our relationship with all the retailers have grown uh, over the last few months, and you know, we're continually trying to hammer home to them that you know, hey, we're only trying to put out good books here, and trust us, these are good books. You're probably underordering, and so many of our titles, we've had things not only sell out but sell out within the first week uh, that they're available at Diamond. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know, we're really trying to get that message out to believe in us as a company and have trust in us and increase your orders. I want to talk about animosity because I wrote a review of the first issue, and it had a real impact on me. I remember reading it, and I have these two dogs, and they're they're sitting right beside me now while we're talking. But when I read the book, I looked down at them, and I remember thinking, how do I know what you guys are really thinking about? You know, because it was that profound and that impactful of a thing that it – the story impacted how I viewed reality with that. And it's a great series ongoing. I have to say that just the notion of animals getting consciousness and being able to interact and deal with us on different levels, are just it's just been a fascinating go from beginning until even now issue number seven is about to come out. Talk about animosity and what that has meant for you guys. Well, just like you said, the thing with animosity, it's really magical on a few different levels. I mean, having worked in the industry for about 25, 26 years, it's extremely rare where you you get a pitch from someone or you hear about a project and you want to green light it or get it going immediately. That's really only happened a few times in my career. And when Marguerite pitched us animosity, uh, it was in person and it was at a dinner in Los Angeles. And, you know, it was after 
a really long day of intense budget meetings and company meetings on our part. And we were all tired and Marguerite, she came along for the dinner and she was like, Hey, I want to pitch you guys something. And we're like, okay. And she described what was animosity and we were all on the edge of our seat. And and this was literally like one of those times where we were like, we'll get the contract ready tomorrow and we'll send it to you tomorrow because we want to get working on this as soon as possible. And the other side of it, knowing the idea is really good. It's one thing, but then when the project gets life put into it and it becomes an actual living, breathing thing, it takes on a whole, uh, whole different identity. And when she wrote the first script and sent it in, I was excited to read it, but I had to get into the city for a meeting. So I printed it out and I brought it with me on the bus and I'm sitting there on the bus and there I am a grown man reading this script and I start crying. <laughs> and now that that's only happened to me a few times in my career while reading someone's script. It's happened, I think, with a Mark DeMattis script, maybe a Greg Hurwitz script, and, and now with Marguerite Bennett's. And I think that's the beauty of animosity is that all of us, we're all animal lovers. So many of us have pets. We know the bond to them is as close to family, if not closer sometimes. And that that book speaks to you in a way where you know it really gets to the heart of what it means to have a relationship with these you know these creatures and you know we wonder sometimes you know do they feel like we do do they think like we do what would they say to us if they could talk mm-hmm. and i and i think that's why you know beyond just being a good story and a good idea this is it's a book which touches people Mm-hmm. Any idea how long it's going to run? Because you're up to number seven now, which is you know norm- beyond like a yeah. six issue. Is this going to ongoing for a while too? Definitely ongoing. I would say with this one, there is definitely no end in sight. Mm. Marguerite has so many ideas, and we'd like to see this running forever. <laughs> and we've already dabbled in the area of expansion. We did this one shot a few months ago called Animosity: The Rise, which took the same story but from a different perspective on a different side of the country and how things were uh, operating a little bit differently on that side of the country that was so much fun and successful for us that we decided to make it a trilogy so that's going to be three different one shots called animosity of the rise and see them released over the course of the next few months and you know who knows where we'll go from there i think there's definitely room for even more expansion Mm-hmm, which is great. I'd like to see that because honestly, there's connection with us and our animals and, and the animal world is, is so profound. And I was reading a story where somebody was talking about, do animals have souls? When we die, might we meet our animal friends up in, in heaven kind of stuff? So she's tapped into something I think that's really, really important to us. Exactly. I couldn't agree more. Now, let's talk about other books that you've got coming out. You mentioned Pestilence. Do you want to talk a little bit more about what that's about and who's on that book? Yeah, you know, this was a unique project, the way it came about. We have a writer that we work with called Eric Bromberg, and he's not a comics guy. You know, most of his career has has been, you know, in Hollywood and, and working on film and TV and other things. And he had a pitch that he showed to us. It was a video game concept. Mm-hmm. And it was this video game, which was basically the idea was that during the time of the Black Death plague in Europe, which decimated so many people. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think that's where we get the term decimated from. Mm-hmm. The true culprit behind the plague was actually the world's first zombie infestation. Mm-hmm. And so 
we had this really exciting idea with zombies and knights and medieval Europe and all that sounded so cool and it hadn't gone anywhere as a video game we thought would make a, a fantastic comic book. Mm-hmm. So we took it and kind of reverse engineered it and hired on Frank Thierry, a writer that I've worked with many, many times at both Marvel and DC. Mm-hmm. And Frank, you know, I knew was the perfect writer for it. He excels at mayhem and violence and gore and crazy action. And he also is a, a big history buff and he loves Knights Templar and and loves the Crusades and so you know I kind of knew Frank, you know, I knew it was the perfect creator to bring on and develop that. Mm-hmm. And again, not surprised that you know it came out a few weeks ago and we are almost completely sold out mm-hmm. and going back for a second printing. So yeah, we knew it was a great concept, and it's just, it's great to see that uh, people are embracing it the way they are. And I've got another number one that's coming out this month called The Normals. Do you want to give us a little bit of information about that? Yeah, Normals is our second project that Adam Glass brought to us. So if they've been enjoying Rough Riders, they're certainly going to enjoy the style of writing because it's from Adam Glass, the same creator. But a very different story. The Normals centers around... Uh, a very stereotypical middle-class American family, mom and dad, young boy, young girl, dog, nice house, boy plays on the baseball team. For all intents and purposes, everything looks beautiful and, and nothing could go wrong. And, and then an accident happens where the young boy in the family falls and gets a wound on the back of his head and they discover that it's more than just an actual wound. There seems to be wires and lights and circuitry and this small revelation will turn this family upside down as they start to discover their true origins and the fact that everything they thought was real and perfect actually is not Mm. and the reality of their situation is far worse than they could have ever imagined Mm. and it's a great suspenseful book Adam certainly knows how to write a great suspense story. There are twists and turns after every scene and every page. And we feel it's kind of the first of its kind at Aftershock. We haven't really done a book like this yet, so we're really excited about it. And the artwork on it is great. Dennis Calero, who, again, I've worked with a lot of times at both Marvel and DC, he provides the perfect kind of noir feel to this story, which is exactly what it needs. you know. And one of our staff members said it feels like one of the best Twilight Zone episodes. Hmm. They were equating it to that, and and she was right. She was right. It feels like a Twilight Zone episode, and yeah, it comes out today. Great. Well, now, you've got three number twos that are coming out in this month, so there's still time to get back and get number one. Eleanor and the Egret, what's that about? Eleanor Egret is uh, two guys I work with a lot. John Lehman, who I think is one of the most inventive writers in comics today, and then the incomparable Sam Keith, who has done The Max and Sandman and Batman. So two guys who, you know, these two are actually really close friends, and they've been looking to do more work together. And when we started up Aftershock, John Lehman was one of the first people I spoke to, and he had the great idea of bringing Sam in, which I thought was fantastic. And, and what they've created here is it's so many different things in one package, but the best way to describe it is like it's, accessible to all ages. It feels like a fairy tale. It feels like a great anime movie. There's a young heroine who's 
an art thief, but <laughs> but for all the right reasons. I mean, you know, it might sound like she's someone bad, but Eleanor has a heart of gold, and uh, she does what she does for for good reason, which readers will find out. And she has a companion, a talking egret, a uh, talking bird, who is with her at every step of the the uh, adventure. And you know, it, it feels like a classic caper. There's a detective who has a, a good heart who's trying to figure out what's going wrong and why all these art pieces are being stolen across the city. And then, of course, there's an evil presence looming in the background who has ties to the artwork and wants to see Eleanor dead. So it's a lot of fun, and it's great. It's something which uh, a 45- or 55-year-old could enjoy, and it's something a 15-year-old could enjoy and a 10-year-old could enjoy. It's great for everybody. Mm, that sounds great. Now you've got World Reader and Blood Blister number two are also out. But I wouldn't let you go without saying how we can support your comics and how we can get your comics. We should be going to the local stores and telling them we want to get after shock books? I mean, most definitely. I mean, the best thing is if you're enjoying our books, you've heard great things about our books Tell your retailers because the retailers are flooded with so many different comics and so much product each month. It's sometimes hard for them to figure out what's working and what's not. There's just so much out there. So if you know it's good or you're enjoying it or you've heard good things about it, tell your retailer. That's always the best thing to do. And then, you know, supporting us through Facebook and Twitter. Follow us on Instagram. We have a YouTube channel. Those are all great ways to get in touch with us and to become familiar with our product and to help spread the word. Now you have AfterShockComics.com, the website, too. Can you get the books through that website? You know what? Uh, I, <laughs> I think you can. I think you can. Yes. I mean, uh, certainly after the fact. I know that we have Backstock on there. Mm-hmm. And it's a great place. Let's say like there's some variants that are rare and you can find anywhere. It's a great place to go and look for them. Now, what about, you can get digital versions, too, through there, right? Go to Comixology yep, or something? Yep, yep. All of our entire catalog is available through Comixology. We have a great partnership with them. So everything, if you're more of a digital reader, you can go to Comixology and, and search for Aftershock. Well, I have to say, Mike, I've loved your books from the start, and I can't wait to see what else you guys have. We haven't even talked about what's coming in the future yet, and I'm sure you've got some great irons in the fire that we can't wait to see as they come up. But I just think Aftershock is one of those great companies that fills a need that a lot of comics readers have to get something you know, high quality that we don't necessarily see in other places. Yeah, and, and I think that it's great that you say that, and that, that's exactly what we want everyone out there to, to kind of feel and embrace that we're offering something for everyone, and we're definitely offering a uh, product that we feel you can't get at other publishers. Yeah, well, keep it up, because I really love what you guys are doing, and I can't wait to see more. And I'll have to talk with you again sometime in the future when we get some more books coming out from you guys. So I'll be more than happy to. Always happy to come on and talk, and yeah, you can count us in anytime. That's it for this week. Please be back next time when I'll be speaking with another great comics creator. But until then, keep reading your comics.